Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope everyone is having a fantastic day today. It is Sunday. It is a beautiful day outside, and we get to be here together or here virtually in this online space. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you were been here with us the last couple of weeks, um, we started a new series about the book of Philippians. And I'm really excited about this series because we're literally going to walk through the book of Philippians, highlighting some of the major themes and some of the major stories from the book of Philippians. So if you're a fan of the book of Philippians, this is the series for you. And I hope that you will enjoy this series. But I think now more than ever, we need to focus on this idea of rejoicing. So I titled this series, Rejoice in the Lord Always, because I think that is so important, especially right now, because there's just so much craziness going on in the world right now. We've got an election coming up, which I'm not even going to get into politics. Um, We're in the midst of a global pandemic, and there's just so much uncertainty, and there's just so much stuff, for lack of a better word, going on in the world right now that I think it's a great time for us to study a book like Philippians that's all about finding joy despite our circumstances. So we're going to just going to take a really positive spin on this series, and we're going to look at how Paul was able to still find ways to rejoice and still find ways to find joy and peace despite his circumstances. So that's kind of where we're at. Just to kind of bring you up to speed, today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19 and work our way through verse 26, which is not a long passage, of course. It's only seven, eight verses, but there's some really powerful stuff in here that I don't want you to miss. So we're going to unpack that here today. So as we look at reading Paul's letter... We want to point out some important things here to you. Now, Philippians tells us, right, that the secrets of finding peace, joy, and love despite our circumstances, because we know that when Paul wrote this book, he was in prison. We know that. We know that Paul did a lot of his best work from prison. We know that. But he still discovered a secret that you and I have to discover, and that's how we can find joy despite whatever our circumstances may be or the circumstances that we may find ourselves in. So that's what we're going to continue to do today. The peace and joy flow from Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at, and that's what we're going to focus on as we continue to look at Paul. So just in case you were not with us last week, I want to bring you up to speed real quick. We talked about finding joy despite our circumstances. We talked about partnership and the importance of partnering with our church family and with other Christians during these difficult times to find our strength in each other, to find our strength and our hope and our help in each other as we all try to follow Jesus Christ. We talked about this this idea of ecclesia, which is this idea of the assembly. Because see, Paul longed to be with the church at Philippi, and he couldn't be with them. Just like we can't necessarily be with our church family the way we would like to be with our church family. And yes, we get to come to the building, some of us, and that's great, but we still can't be together the way we might want to be together. There's still that awkwardness of when you first see somebody, do you you shake hands? Do you fist bump? Do you step back? I personally like the flying forearm of faith where, you you know, you give them the forearm. But, you know, it's still this, we're we're still not together the way we would necessarily like to be together. And that's exactly what Paul was going through when he wrote this letter. He was longing to be with his church family. 
He was longing to be with them, but that didn't stop him from not only doing the work of the kingdom, but encouraging and building up the body, even though he couldn't be a part of it. And the last thing we, lo- we talked about last week was the fact that God isn't finished with us yet. And if you were here last week, at the end of our scripture from last week, Paul was praying for the people that they would continue to grow in their knowledge, that they would continue to grow in their faith, that they would continue to grow as a family so that they could better be followers of Christ. So this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this idea of faith over fear. Now, there's some times in life that we find ourselves on a faith journey that we might not have anticipated, and flying is one of those things. I know there are some people among us who are not big fans of flying, and I'm not going to call anybody out, of course, but (laughs) have you ever been on an airplane and you hit a storm or you hit some rough patches or you hit some turbulence or even worse, you hit one of those air pockets where you're just cruising along and all of a sudden the plane just drops what feels like thousands of feet? And you grab, the, you grab the sides of your seat, and the guy behind you starts screaming, and somebody else starts crying, and people start to kind of to freak out. If you've flown in and out of Orange County Airport, you've probably experienced this at least once, because it has the most extreme entry into the airport because of the noise, uh, the noise restrictions around the airport. But flying can be an act of faith sometimes, especially if you have a fear of flying. Same thing with driving. More people get into accidents and and fatal accidents in a car than they do on planes or anywhere else. So sometimes, and especially if you drive on the 5 freeway in rush hour, there's some times that driving can be an act of faith because, (laughs) yeah, I'll tell you just a quick story. I went yesterday to pick Carter up from his grandmother's in Costa Mesa. And just the time it took me to get from Ladera Ranch to the freeway at the 5, I had three cars pull out in front of me. So sometimes driving in Southern California can be an act of faith, and swimming can be an act of faith. And the reason I throw this in is my wife, I love her to death, but see, I get to talk about her because she's not here. Um, She does not like to swim anywhere where she can't see the bottom. So what I mean by that is she's great in a swimming pool, but don't get her in the ocean because she won't go about past her knees in the ocean because she can't see what may be in there. And, and with her, it's the critters, you know. It's the sharks and the rays and the fish and all that kind of stuff. She just doesn't like to do it. So for her to go out in the ocean with us it is an act of faith for her. Now, I say these things not to make light of them because these are very real things, but I want you to think about the fact that there's many things that we do that require kind of a leap of faith. Now, I'm not saying go jump out of an airplane without a parachute. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is daily we have things that that kind of test our faith or cause us to put our faith in something other than ourselves. See, that's what I love about the airplane example. You have zero control over what happens in an airplane unless you're the pilot. And I don't think we have any pilots here this morning, but unless you're a pilot, you're not in control. You're counting on somebody else. You have faith in that person who's flying the plane, that they have the training and that they've had enough sleep and that they've had enough coffee to get you to your destination as quickly and safely as possible. So it's this idea of faith over fear. Now, this is something that Paul does a great job of, and that's what we're going to look at here today, is Paul's idea of faith over fear, and how do we get that same confidence and that same courage so that we can truly have faith over our fears? 
So let's take a look at the scriptures, and we're going to start in Philippians 1, and I know I told you 19, but it actually, this verse starts at the end of verse 18, so that's why I kind of put 18b up there for you. Uh, remember, when, when these scriptures were written, we didn't have the Bible, the canon that we have now, that these chapters and verses and things like that were put in at a later time for a convenience sake, so that we can go to find the scriptures that we want quickly and easily. So, so don't get hung up when you're reading the Bible on just the chapters and the verses, because if you do that, you're going to discredit yourself, because that's not the way that they were written, and that's not the way they were intended. For example, Philippians, this letter would have been just one long letter. There wouldn't have been chapters and verses and things like that. Now, I'm thankful that we have that, because it makes it very convenient. We can all be on the same page together, but try not to get hung up on the verses and the chapters, because that's not always where the thought starts and the thought ends. So we're going to start in Philippians 1, again, verse 18, towards the very end. It says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what, he, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now again, we've got Paul, and he's sitting in a prison cell, probably in Rome, sitting in a prison cell in this cold, dingy, dark cell. He's in chains. He's not eating well. He's not outside. He's not getting to do the things that he would like to do. Does that sound familiar? We're in lockdown right now, for the most part. And sometimes we may feel like, even though we're really not, we may feel like Paul. Right? We may feel like we can't do the things that we want to do and that we just can't go the places maybe that we want to go and we can't hug the people that we want to hug. Paul can relate. And we say, but Paul doesn't understand Paul wasn't in the middle of a pandemic. And you're right, he wasn't. But he was facing something much worse. He's in this prison cell, and he's facing a possible death penalty. And he's basically just waiting to see what's going to happen to him, knowing that he may die before this is all over and done with. And I think it's important that you understand that, because that sets the frame and the reference for this passage as we go through it. I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. I want you to think just for a minute about what Paul was feeling and what Paul was going through. He was alone. He was captive. Didn't have his family. Couldn't be with his church. But that didn't stop Paul because of his faith. So let's go ahead and continue reading in verse 20. If we pick up in verse 20, it reads, I eagerly expect... And hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have su sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is what I really want to focus on this morning. Paul's attitude. Again, he's in prison and he may be executed. He doesn't know for sure yet. But I love what he says. He says, I want to have the sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted, whether by life or by death. Such a powerful, powerful message from Paul. His courage and his strength and his faith were just immeasurable. And we're going to get into that just a little bit more in a minute. But as we continue in verse 21, it says, For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if you're using your physical Bible or you're using the Bible app, I want you to highlight that, underline it, star it, whatever you want to do. 
Because this is the key to what we're going to be talking about today. And this is a key for us as Christians. For to me, for to, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So Paul says, look, if I'm spared from this, if I'm not going to be executed, if I'm not going to be put to death, that's fantastic. I'm going to continue doing the work of the Lord. And I'm going to be able to, to encourage and edify and teach other people and continue to expand the kingdom. So that's fantastic, he's saying. If I get to live, great. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to keep doing this thing for Jesus Christ. And then it says, Yet, what shall I choose? He says, I do not know. So Paul's having this conversation with himself. Is it better for me to live, or is it better for me to die? And he says, I don't know. So let's continue in verse 23, where it says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So he says, look, if this is the end, if this is it for me, if they're going to put me to death, because remember, he's already in prison. He doesn't really have any control over his circumstances. But he's basically saying, look, if they put me to death, okay. Because I'm going to go to be with Jesus Christ in heaven, and that's way better than being on this earth. That courage, that faith, that strength to know that if he dies, he's going to go to be with Jesus. And he's saying, I'm okay with that. In that last verse, we just talked about the fact that he's okay if he stays because he can still continue to do the work of the Lord. And now he's saying, but if I go, I'm good with that too because I'm going to go to be with Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. It says, but, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to this church in Philippi, one of those first churches that he started. He's saying, look, it's better for you guys that I stay here so that I can continue to work with you and I can continue to teach you in the ways of Jesus Christ. So he's not thinking of himself, right? Because think about that. If he had the choice, wouldn't he want to go to be with Jesus and not have to be suffering and be persecuted? Of course he would. But he's saying, look, that's not what's best for you, because, see, he's putting their needs ahead of his own needs. And he's saying, look, the best thing for you is if I stay right here. It says, convicted of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. It says, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, is that word boasting again? And we think of boasting as almost a negative connotation, right? Because we think of that as like the opposite of humble. We think of that as, you know, I'm boasting about myself. I'm bragging about myself. But, but, but remember, he's saying about Christ, that you're boasting about the good news of Jesus. He's saying this in a positive way, not in a negative way. So th this is our theme for today, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It, it's, it's a scale, right? It's a set of scales. Which one is going to be better? And that's exactly what Paul is going through as he writes this letter. Is it better for me to stay here and do the Lord's work, or is it better for me to move on? And that's what Paul is debating, 
And this is something that, that, that maybe we've had to go through at some point in your life. Maybe you've been at that point where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this or not. How did we feel? What were our thoughts? Were we like Paul to say, hey, if this is it, I'm good with it. And if this is not it, I'm going to continue to do the Lord's work. So where do we find that courage that Paul had? Where do we find that courage that says, look, if I'm going to stay here and work, great. And if I'm going to go, that's great too because I'm going to be with Jesus. That courage, that conviction comes from having faith in our salvation. Because there's only one way we can do it, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we talked two weeks ago, I think it was, about the steps of salvation, right? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully. So where do we find this courage and where do we find this peace that Paul had? So let's see what the Bible says. We're going to jump over to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Again, Romans 5, 1 through 3, where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that word that we were just talking about. Where do we find the peace that Paul has? Right here, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that in suffering produces perseverance. So here we see in Romans this same idea of this hope and this joy and this peace that we've been talking about throughout this series. And where is it found? He says right here, it's found through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this goes back to the good news that we've been talking about. This good news that Jesus was willing to come to the earth to die for our sins. That's where we get this joy and this peace that comes from Christ. Let's look at a couple more scriptures. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Again, Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, these are powerful scriptures where we're being reminded that we need to be confident in our salvation. And when we're following those steps of salvation, when we've given ourselves to Jesus, when we're living faithfully, when we've repented of our old ways, we can find that confidence in our salvation. Let's look at Deuteronomy 31.6. Let's jump back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. See, Paul knew that. Paul knew that when he was sitting in his prison cell. He wasn't sitting there, oh, woe is me. This is the end. God has forsaken me. God has left me. No, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's what gives us that strength and that courage that Paul had. That conviction that we know where our salvation lies because of what Jesus did for us. Not because we were deserving of that, but because of his love for us. We know that John 3.16 tells us that he loved the world so much that he sent his son. So that what? 
none shall perish. That's where our faith and our strength and our conviction comes from. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 6, 23 says, For the weight of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The gift. That gift that's already been bought and paid for. It's already been bought and paid for. God loved us enough to send Jesus down to earth, to live as a man, to walk amongst us, and to die a terrible death so that we could be forgiven. And see, Paul believed that with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind. And that's what gives him that conviction to say, hey, if I got to go, if it's my time, I'm okay with that because I'm going to go to be with Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13 says, if you decide with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It says, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So see, when we go through those steps that we talked about here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully, it says we will be saved. We will be saved. That's our confidence. That's our conviction. That's how we can be like Paul and know that, hey, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I followed these steps to the best of my ability, that I'm going to be saved. Again, that's not to say we go out and take crazy risks because I don't believe that's at all what the Bible teaches. But what it does teach us is if it's my time, it's time for me to go, that's okay. Because the Bible teaches me that I'm going to be saved and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And I'm okay with that. And that's how Paul can say, hey, to live or to die. Either way. So what's our focus? Our focus is to have courage. Paul prays in his letter for courage. And maybe that's a prayer that we need to be praying right now. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. There's a lot of craziness going on. There's a lot of people who are at risk with this disease that is going around. My wife's a type 1 diabetic. She's very highly at risk for this disease. But we got to pray to have the courage that Paul had. See, that's what I love about the power of prayer. If there's places in our lives that we need to do better, get better, have more of, we can pray for that. And maybe we need to pray for courage. Lord, don't let me be afraid of this disease. Because if it's meant to be, or if I contract this disease, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with you. Now, that's not to say that we're wishing for death. Of course, don't get me wrong. Don't misread this. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is, if it happens, we're confident and we're courageous enough to know that we've done the things that we need to do 
from our end to earn salvation. Now, we know that's not possible without Jesus. That's why I say to our end to earn our salvation. We need to recalibrate the why. Why are we here? Why are we here on earth? I know that's a deep question. But what are we doing here? If we're here, then that means that God has a purpose and a plan for us. What is it? Have we let our fear of our circumstances stop us from doing what the Lord put us here to do? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you got to be a preacher or a teacher. I'm saying there's things that you bring to the table. There's things that you guys do better than I do. And maybe that's reaching out to those who are sick. Maybe it's preparing a meal for someone who needs food. Maybe it's a simple phone call or a handwritten note or a letter. See, Paul was in prison, and he still did the work of the church. Are we doing that same thing? Or have we let everything else that's going on around us say, "Ah, you know what, I guess I'm going to stop doing that for now. And I'll get back to doing the Lord's work when this whole thing is over and done with. No, Paul didn't do that, and neither should we. Yes, the doors to the church building were closed for a time, but the church wasn't closed because the church is not this building. It's all of you and all of us and all of you, wherever you may be watching this morning. That's what the church is. That never closed. The church didn't close. We have to keep going. I don't know when this thing's going to end. I'm not a scientist. I don't know if we're going to get a vaccine. I don't know if on election day it magically goes away. I don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. But what I do know is in the meantime, we better keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. Paul did. And he was way more locked down than we are. But he didn't let that stop him. And I want to encourage you. And I'm not trying to beat anybody down or berate anybody. But I want to encourage you. Keep doing the kingdom work. Yeah, we may have to do it in a little bit different way than what we're used to. Maybe that's what God is trying to teach us through this thing. Is we got to do a better job of checking in on people. We got to do a better job of reaching out to people. We've got to find new ways to spread the gospel. Why are we here? If we're here, we're here for a reason. And maybe it's time to take stock of that and to recalibrate our lives to say, what have I been doing to advance the kingdom during this time? We need to focus on Jesus. We've gotten so focused on everything else right now because work may look a little different for you and school may look a little different for your kids, right? And maybe your favorite stores aren't open or you can't go to restaurants or you can't go to the movie theater or you can't come to church the way you'd like to. Has that become our focus? Have we gotten so consumed with a pandemic and an election that we've forgotten that regardless of who gets elected in November, Jesus is still our Lord and Savior? That's where our focus needs to be. That's where our focus needs to be. Focus on Jesus. Don't worry so much about the election. Because you know what? And I'm not encouraging you not to vote. Of course, I want you to vote. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who gets elected. 
So our focus shouldn't be so consumed on that that we forget about doing the Lord's work because we're so focused on everything else. And I know that's easier said than done, but that's what we have to do. We've got to focus on Jesus and live for heaven. See, that's what Paul was doing, right? Because if we don't focus on heaven and the amazingness that's waiting for us one day, that incomprehensible place called heaven, because I don't know about you guys, I can't even wrap my head around what heaven is going to look like or be like. I don't know. I will tell you this, I don't think it's all white. Because the Lord made too many fantastic, beautiful colors in this world to think that heaven is going to be all white and we're all going to wear all white and everything's going to be all white. And I could be wrong. But that's where our focus needs to be. Getting ourselves, getting our families, getting our church families, getting our friends and everybody else we know on that path to eternal salvation. Because it is going to be so much better than anything you can imagine here on earth. That I do know. Because I know that's what the Bible tells me. There's no pain and there's no suffering no sorrow, it's going to be an amazing place. But we can't let our circumstances stop us from working towards that goal. We've got to have a plan. We've got to work towards it. We save for retirement, right? We save for vacations, and that's great. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But do we look at our salvation in the same way? Is it something we're saving towards, working towards, striving towards with a goal in mind, and that goal being to spend eternity with Christ in heaven? I hope that we are. Takeaways. What are the things that we may be holding on too tightly to here on earth? Paul, right, said, if it's my time, I'm ready to go. He wasn't holding on too tightly to his earthly possessions or to worldly possessions. He said, hey, if I have to go, I have to go. Are we the same way? Are we ready to give up our cars and our homes and our possessions and our friends to go to heaven? I hope that we are. I hope that we're not holding on so tightly to the things of this world that we've forgotten about the things of the next world. Because eternity is a long time. What are we living for? And that's a rhetorical question. But I hope that we're living for Jesus Christ. I hope that in everything that we do, Christ is at the center of it. If you're married, I hope that Christ is at the center of your marriage. If you have a family, I hope that Christ is at the center of your family. Christ is where our focus needs to be and who we should be living for. What is left to be done? What are the things in your life that still need to be done before you're ready to move on? Tomorrow's not promised. And I don't mean to be, to be morbid, but tomorrow's not promised. What are the things that you still need to, to get done? Maybe you haven't gotten your life right with God yet. And you're saying, oh, I'll do it one of these days. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I've actually heard some people say, oh, I'm going to wait till right before I die to do that. That way I can live however I want to live. I don't think it works that way. But what are the things 
that you would regret if you didn't do it now. And if that's your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do it sooner rather than later because there's no reason to wait. Tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not a given. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just want to leave you with that today. I don't want to leave you with the fact that we don't have to fear the unknown. Because when we get our lives right with Jesus Christ, when we've been baptized, when we've repented of our old ways and we put those things aside and we're focused on Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid. We can be just like Paul. If it's my time, it's my time. I'm going to be with Jesus. And that's what I want to leave you with here this morning. In just a moment, Brandon is going to come up and lead us in another song. And I just want to encourage you to think about where you're at. Do you have that same courage that Paul had to say, I am so confident that I'm going to be with Jesus that, hey, if this is my last day on earth, so be it. I'm ready. Because here's the beautiful thing. If you don't, if you don't have that conviction and that courage, you have an opportunity to make it right. Maybe you've never been baptized. You have an opportunity to be baptized, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to put that old life behind you so that those mistakes that you've made in the past no longer count against you. Or maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But because of all this stuff that's going on and all this junk that's going on, you just haven't gotten back on track. We would love to help you do that. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. There is no reason to leave here today and not have your life right with Christ. Would you stand together as we sing? The joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, amen. The joy of the Lord is our strength for sure. Um, just want to thank you all for being here this morning, whether you're here with us live, whether you're joining us in our online audience. We are so thankful for each and every one of you, wherever you may be this morning. Just a quick reminder, we will have our Sunday night devotional in the parking lot at 5.30. Note the time change. It won't be 6 o'clock. It's going to be 5.30 since the sun is setting earlier and earlier these days. So 5.30, uh, bring a chair, bring some water or something to drink. Um, I guarantee you will have a great time. We just have a great time of song singing. Uh, Michael will be bringing us a short message tonight, and we'll also have communion available just in case you are not able to partake of communion this morning. So again, I want to thank you all for being here. Next week, 10.15 for our children's worship, both online and here in the auditorium. 10.30 for our main service and we just look forward to seeing you all either tonight or next week. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer? 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to continue to do your work during this time. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for everything that you do for us, and we just pray that you'll have give us the courage and the convictions, just as Paul had, that we are secure in our salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that sacrifice that was made on our behalf, that sacrifice that we were so undeserving of, but was given to us out of your great love for us. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. The Lord.